0: The reading is taken from Ephesians 6, uh, chapter chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, saints. For those of you, uh, I should have sort of said at the start. A particular warm welcome to any returning students who are here for graduation. It's great uh, to have you uh, along uh, along with us today. And if you haven't been here uh, over the last uh, few uh, few weeks or months, um, uh, let me just explain where we are. We're going through the Book of Ephesians. I know some of you are, have still got your uh, Ephesians booklets. Well done for continuing with them. We've still got a number at the back, so if you haven't got one, or even if you're visiting, do feel free uh, to take one. Um, but we've been going through the Book of Ephesians, and the first three. Three chapters of Ephesians are all about identity, all about who we are, who we are in Christ, the fact we're saints, the fact that we are chosen children of God, the fact that we're adopted into his family, that we are his precious possession. And after uh, Paul labours that point in some ways for the first three chapters, he then goes on at the start of chapter four to say this, therefore live a life worthy of your calling. And the second three chapters uh, are all about Practically, What does it mean to live that out? And that's what we've been looking at for the last last few weeks. Um, And we come to a key topic today. There are only four verses. You might have noticed, very, very short reading. Only four verses, but a really key topic. And that is about how do we relate to our parents and how do we relate to our children? I wonder what your relationship is like with your parents. I wonder what your relationship is like with your children if you have them or what you'd like your relationship to be like with your children, should you have them in the future. This part of uh, Paul's letter, um, Paul uh, deals with a few very, very practical things. They're sometimes known as the household codes. He talks um, uh, about three areas of life, three key building blocks of society. Last week, we looked at marriage. For those of you who are along uh, last week. This week it looks at parents and children, and next week we're looking at work. Um, it talks particularly about slavery and masters, but also we're lo- using that to look at the topic uh, of work. And that kind of the overall heading for these three topics is found in chapter 5, verse 21, where it says um, that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, Husbands, this is how to do it. And wives, this is how to do it. Children, this is how to do it. Parents, fathers, this is how to do it. Next week we'll see about work, slaves and masters. But this week, parents and children. And as with last week when we looked at um, husbands and wives, there are so many different situations that you could all be in. So many different situations you could all be in. There are many different relationships that you may well have with your parents. Some of you... I'm sure, have got fantastic parents and you have a great relationship with your parents. For some of you, as was told to me earlier on in the week, you may see both or one of your parents as scumbags, was how they described it. That may be you. That may be you. And uh, it may be that you maybe don't even have a relationship with your parents or one of your parents, either because they are absent or maybe you're separated by death. But I hope and I pray that actually when we look at how we treat, how we relate our parents, that actually what we say today is applicable to all of us. Uh, The same, as you say, is also true for children. Uh, I'm aware that many of us here today, because of the age demographic of our congregation, do not have children. Um, uh, Some of us uh, do have children. Some of us have got children who are grown up. Some of us have great relationships with our children. Some of us have difficult relationships with our children. Um, uh, Some people um, uh, actually would love to have children, but are struggling uh, for whatever reason to have children. And some people do have children and are finding it a very difficult time of life having children. We're all in difficult, different places. Add to that, of course, that some of us will, may, uh, may well have adopted children. Some of us may be foster parents. Some of us uh, may be step-parents. Uh, some of us may have stepfathers or stepmothers. mothers So there's a whole range of things. But as I said, I hope that this is relevant to all of us. If you're in a situation and you think, well, do you know what? This thing about parents and children doesn't really apply to me. I mentioned this last week. Three things for you. Number one, you never know what the future holds. Number two, you can at least give advice to those around you in different circumstances to yourself. Gently give advice. And number three, as we'll see, the church here is a family. One of the images used in the Bible of the church is that it's a family. And that you, whatever situation you're in, have the opportunity as part of this congregation to be parents to children or to be parented by others. Okay, so that's the context that we are looking at. I'm aware I haven't prayed yet. I wanted to give that uh, context to things, but I'm going to pray now uh, as we come to this topic. Heavenly Father. You know each of the individual situations that each of us are in. And I pray that as we look at this topic today, that you may give each of us insights where we need them. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so the context of this passage uh, is uh, that family was key to this culture. Um, I've talked before how often in our Western world, the, what's the first question you ask someone when you meet them often is, what do you do? We define people very often by what they do. What's your job? What's, what's your role? What's your, what are your achievements? In uh, this culture, and I would argue in the majority of cultures of the world, that's not the first question you ask someone. Some people are often more defined by, not by what they do, but by their families. The first question is not, what do you do? The first question is, how are your parents? How is your wife or your husband? Are you married or not? How are your children? Do you have children? Actually, that is the first question that people are asked. And in this context, Paul is writing where a family is absolutely key. It's a key building block to society. And what the Ephesians, people in Ephesus, and the Christians around would have wanted to know is, is to say, in this context, what does that mean for us now we've become Christians, now that we're saints? Should we follow the culture around us? How should we relate to our children? How should we relate to our parents? And that is where Paul goes with this. Hence, these four verses. And we've got, I'm going to have a little bit where we talk to, what it says about children, how children should react to their parents. And then there's another verse which talks about how parents should respond to their children. So we kind of got two bits uh, that we're going to uh, go through. First of all, though, we're going to start with children. Children, how should we respond to our parents? And as part of this, I'm going to ask you just, uh, just to spend 30 seconds talking to the person next to you about what your relationship with your parents is like. Now, I mention this uh, to say you you feel free to share as much or as little uh, as you wish. I'm aware that some of you here may say, actually, I don't have a relationship with my parents. And some of you may say, I've got a great relationship with my parents. Some of you may say, actually, my parents are... I've been separated by by death, my parents. We're all in different contexts. But just 30 seconds, search the person next to you, say hi if you don't know them, and just say very briefly, what's your relationship like with your parents? Sorry if that was only very brief. Just beginning to get you thinking. Uh, I'm aware I might have put some people here in a very awkward position if they're sitting next to their parents. (laughs) You you were listening to what Ben was saying, were you You were talking very quietly. (laughs) (laughs) What is our relationship like with our parents? Well, this is what Ephesians chapter 6 says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is Right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Children, obey your parents. What does that mean? The idea of obedience immediately, particularly for us in our culture, raises loads of questions. We say, oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. This whole thing about obedience, does this apply in everything? What if our parents ask us to do things that aren't right? Or what about um, if I've got bad parents? Or when does this stop applying? I'm 40 and my parents live three hours away down the road. Do I still need to obey my parents? How does this apply to us? Well, the nuance, I think, that is in this passage is that I think when it says children obey your parents, I think it is talking specifically to children who are currently under the direct nurture of their parents. If you look at verse 4 there, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, it's talking about during that time in which you are under the direct instruction and training of your parents. When does that change happen? Well, you know, different cultures say different things. When do people become adults? Some cultures it's 12, some cultures it's 16 or 18 or 21. In other cultures, you become officially an adult when you move out of home or when you get married, or when you get your first job, or or whatever it might be. But every culture around the world has this sort of blurred kind of idea of someone becoming or moving into adulthood, if you like. So I think that this is talking about that period of life. Of course, you can still say, well, what happens if I've got parents who ask me to do things that are wrong? Or things that are unchristian. And I think we can probably all think of extreme circumstances where actually obeying our parents at that stage of life would be wrong, such as situations of abuse, or as I've said, when people ask us to do things that are unchristian. But the default, the default for children who are under their parents, being nurtured at home, is obedience, is what this is saying here. Now, of course, the reality of this, is I'm aware that most of the people here are not people who are living under the direct nurture of their parents in your lives at the moment, right? So what has this got to say to us? Well, here's what I think it has to say to us. I think it's got something very, very important, and that's in the next little bit of the verse. What it says is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You see, what Paul's doing here is Paul is taking a principle and applying it to younger children. The application is children obey your parents, but the overall principle is honor your mother and father. And that is something that goes across all generations, whatever age we are, whatever culture we're in. Honor your mother and father. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you'll remember as we talked about marriage that one of the key things, one of the key verses about marriage in Scripture is from Genesis chapter two, where it says, "A father will uh, uh, a man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And we said that that was an absolutely key verse from the Old Testament about marriage. It was repeated a number of times in the New Testament, and we need to really examine that verse. Here is a key verse about how we relate to our parents. Jesus quotes this four times in the New Testament. Honor your father and mother. And here's something else that I realized the other day as I was thinking about this, and this really kind of blew my mind. This idea of honoring your father and mother is part of the Ten Commandments. It's the um, fifth command, I think. Honor your father and mother. What that means is, God ranks this alongside do not commit murder. God ranks honoring our mother and father alongside do not commit adultery. Ranks it even alongside worship the Lord your God only. Do you find that strange? That's, that's a major thing. If you think that in the Jewish world the Ten Commandments were the Ten Commandments, you know, if you could live your life by anything, take the Ten Commandments, and one of them is honor your mother and father. It's a big deal. And yet I think it's something we hardly ever think about or hear preached about at all which is why I want to take a little bit of time looking at it today. What does it mean for us to honor our mother and father? Interestingly, it's it's interesting what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, trust your mother and father. Because, of course, 50% of parents are below average. And some parents are evil. Some parents are bad parents. So it wouldn't make sense to have, in the Ten Commandments trust your mother and father because some parents are untrustworthy i pray that we're not i pray that i'm not but you can imagine situations where that would be the case it doesn't say have lovely feelings towards your mother and father again i pray we might but it doesn't say that it, it doesn't even say it doesn't even command us love your mother and father yes we are called to love everybody called even to love our enemies but the overriding command in scripture about how we relate to our parents is to honor our mother and father and that is applicable whether we've got great parents or whether we've got parents who are scumbags, as was said. It is, it, I believe we can honor our mother and father even if our parents or one of them is absent from our life in whatever way. So, what does this mean in practice? And I'm going to unashamedly steal from uh, uh, one of my heroes. Or I've, you've heard me mention him before, uh, Tim Keller. Uh, I listened to lots of his sermons, but he. Uh, had this sermon on honoring our mothers and fathers, and he came up with these five ways to honor our mother and father, which I'd love to uh, go through, just to add some sort of meat to the application of what this might mean. Okay? When Anna and I first heard these, it really sort of blew our minds as to how important this would be in our lives. So that's why I'd like to share them uh, with us today. So five ways to honor our mothers and our fathers. Number one, find culturally appropriate ways to value your mother and father find culturally appropriate ways to value your mother and father now different things happen in different ways in different cultures different families have got different cultures whether it's giving them the head of the table if that's something that happens or you think would be valuing them whether it's letting them speak first in a conversation whether it's phoning them once a week my dad regularly says to me graham you really need to phone your mum a bit more often She's been talking to me, you know. So I think my mum often has conversations with my dad saying, I haven't heard from Graham for a while. and I think I'd really quite like to. So my dad always says, Graham, you need to phone mum, maybe once a week. I need to set a reminder on my phone or something. It says, Phone mum. It's Sunday evening. Okay. Honor your father and mother. Again, as I said, that can mean very different things in different contexts, depending on uh, what context uh, we're in. Um, just to say before I go any further as well. Uh, this applies to uh, if, if, you're, if, your parent, if you were adopted or if you were fostered uh, as, as well as uh, biological parents uh, as well. So it's kind of, it, it, this, this, is, this is wider, wider than just um, one thing. Find culturally appropriate ways to value your parents. Secondly, don't assume your parents can't change. We can honor our parents by not assuming that they can't change. There's a temptation, I think, um, for us to assume, oh, my parents, particularly maybe when we first leave home or when we're in our 20s, to say, oh, my parents always do that. Or to say, oh, my dad never dot, dot, dot does that. Or my mum never does uh, that. And actually, there's, an, there's a way of honouring our parents that says, do you know what, I'm, don't, I'm not going to stereotype them. I'm going to say, do you know what, actually, they can change. Uh, just a very simple example, I know that when uh, when my uh, my, my parents have never really been hot on technology at all. I don't know if any of you relate to that with your parents. Um, and uh, so they always phoning me up, oh, how do I do this, how do I do that, how do I do that? And there was a sensation of oh, I'm always having to go and sort things out. My dad got an iPad a few years ago. And all of a sudden, he's amazing on the iPad, you know? I don't, I don't know what it is. I think he's become a silver surfer, if you've heard that phrase. But anyway, all of a sudden, he's great on it. And, and, and actually, I've had to sort of say, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, actually, he is good at that okay I'm not going to kind of stereotype him just saying that he can't do uh, certain things you may say that's a trivial example but there are other things that are maybe more uh, important in the how you relate to your parents and you assume oh, my parents always do that leave open the possibility that they can change in whatever that may be so number one value them number two allow them to change number three and this takes a bit of explaining Show them what you've learned from them. Or to put it another way, don't underestimate the need of your parents to see themselves reflected in you. Don't underestimate the need of your parents to see themselves reflected in you. One key way of honoring your parents is saying, do you know, Mum or dad, I'm really good at this and I want to thank you because I know that I got that from you. Thank you. Whatever it is. Thank you so much that you taught me about DIY. Thank you that uh, you allowed me. I've learnt kind of patience from you. Um, When when Anna and I first listened to this talk, um, Anna um, had... Uh, her dad uh, was on the phone and uh, said to Anna, oh, Anna, I need this, can you find that bit of paper that you got given, you know, or post, was probably posted to you like a few months ago or so. And Anna was like, yeah, sure. Went to a, where she'd done a filing, pulled out the bit of paper and said, yeah, I've got it here on the phone. And, um, and then she said to her dad, she said, oh, dad, having just listened to this talk, she said, dad, thank you for teaching me about filing. Now, you may say that's about boring and, you know, but, but she said, dad, I want to thank you for teaching me about filing and for being organized with paperwork. And she said, "Dad, because I know that you taught me to do that, and I got that from you. Thank you." And it was, I know Anna then said, "It was actually, it was amazing. The the kind of, not, it wasn't a dramatic change in their relationship in any way, but just a sense of, thanks. Yeah, okay. And Anna's dad was able to say, yeah, okay. I, I you know, it, just the, the sense of appreciation uh, for what they learned through them. Does that? I, I don't know if that makes sense at all. I don't know if you can think of things, ways that your your parents." Um, in some ways, things that you've learned from them. You may struggle to think of something. I'd encourage you to think of just even one thing. And I would encourage you to tell them, communicate to them. Mom, Dad, thank you for giving me a gift in this or that or whatever it might be. Okay, that's number three, third way to honor our parents. Number four, fourth way to honor our parents, forgive them. Fourth way to honor our parents is to forgive them. Parents will always get things wrong. I know this from personal experience as a child and as a parent. Parents will always get things wrong. The number of conversations I have with people, pastoral conversations I have with people, and for whatever reason, decisions that their parents have made often, not always, but often unintentionally have left scars on their life as children. And Anna and I have come to the assumption that that is just going to happen. I mean, not that we, we, you know, we don't want them to happen, but just as a parent, you make decisions and you don't know the consequences and you're just aware that in a few years' time, your kids may have been hurt by that decision or it may have had a, you know, bad repercussions in their life or whatever, and you've just got to say, I, I, I kind of know that that's going to happen. And part of our role as children to honor our parents is to forgive them. It may be saying, "Mum and dad, I know you didn't mean to do that. And you may not even need to communicate it to them, but saying, even in your head, I know you didn't mean to do that, but it did hurt me, and I just want to, I want to, I'm going to forgive you for that. That is a key way of honoring our parents. One of the things that Anna and I have talked about is that um, we've already decided what uh, our kid's 25th birthday present is going to be. For our kid's 21st birthday, we're going to give them six sessions of counseling. We're going to say, look... We know that we will have got stuff wrong, that you will have talked to your friends about and won't have talked to us about, and we just wanna say we're really sorry. Here's six sessions of counseling to talk to someone else about it, to try and just begin the process of trying to sort it out. (laughs) Forgiving our parents. Uh, Just a word to say that if, if actually, for many of us that may only be very small things, for some people here that could be quite major, forgiving parents, and if that's you, I just want to reassure you, it's not saying that those things that maybe if your parents did things that were particularly wrong, it's not saying that those things were okay. It's not, it's not ignoring them. It's not saying um, that they didn't matter. What it's saying, forgiving someone is saying, I- I'm releasing my hold on those things and handing them over to God so that they don't control me any longer. Because one of the things about... Not forgiving is that it, it, it means that those things end up controlling us. So for some of us, that will be very difficult and maybe a painful process. I'm aware, I'm aware of that. It's not something you can do just like that, um, but forgiving them is a way of honoring them. And finally, and again, this might sound a little bit surprising, final thing to honor our parents is to leave them. Again, that takes a little bit of explaining. It may sound like a strange way to honor our parents, but think about it this way. What is the ultimate role of a parent? The ultimate role of a parent is that their children, in time, will be able to stand on their own two feet without their parents. Now, I don't mean in terms of leaving your parents, not phoning them or ignoring them, because obviously that would be very dishonoring to your parents. I'm all, and also, it doesn't necessarily mean moving out of home. There are some people for whom, you know, for whatever financial reasons or whatever, staying at home is the, is the right thing to do. And also, in some cultures in the world, people, you know, don't leave home even, you know, when they become adults, and that's, and that's fine. But what it is saying is, it's saying, actually, I want to honor my parents by saying, parents, just to say thank you for giving me all I need to be able to stand on my own two feet in life and leaving our parents. I hope that makes sense. So... Five just very practical things about how to honor our parents. Okay. So that's the first part of this passage. <laughs> Don't worry. The second part I'm going to go through uh, a bit uh, rather, rather quicker, which is talking to parents. So the first part is about children. How should we as children respond and relate to our parents? Secondly, as parents, how should parents respond to their children? As I did before, I'd like you just to spend a moment to sharing with the person next to you, either what is your relationship like with your children, if you have children, or secondly, if you were to have children, what would you like your relationship to be like? Okay? So just 30 seconds, have a conversation with them. Number one, what's your relationship like with your children? Or if you haven't got children, in the future, what would you like it to be like? Anyway, how should parents relate to their children? And I- I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this um, because I'm aware that for the majority of people here, you're not in the context of uh, in the, uh, raising and nurturing uh, young children, um, and also um, that... Um, I'm aware that I am only the beginning of this journey, and I don't want to just uh, give uh, my own sort of advice from a mere few years of being a parent. When uh, there are many great courses out there, we we did one together as a church uh, this year. Parent, is it this year, last year? I can't remember. uh, Parenting for faith. Um, So I'm not going to spend as long uh, on this section, uh, but it is there and is worth looking at. And the context of this passage, the context that Paul was writing in, was where the The parents, notably the father in the context in the Roman culture, had absolute authority at home. Absolute authority. This is one of the things uh, that I read. This is the concept, the Latin Roman concept of pater familias, which means father of the family. It says this, The head of the Roman family was the pater familias, the father, who exercised sovereign authority over all members of the family. He had full right of disposal over his children, as over slaves and things. He had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in the fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands. And he could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. And in that context, the the father in the family was was absolutely in charge. And the state, if you like, didn't interfere. Uh, That's why Paul says explicitly fathers. Now, actually, what he's saying is context today can very easily, and I think should apply to mothers and uh, fathers. So in that context, what does Paul say to fathers? Fathers, uh, Paul says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Again, this would have been sort of a New thing for the people at the time to hear. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Note that he does assume authority. There is an authority that they sort of assume happens there, at, um, in the family. But what Paul does is he uh, says, in the context of authority, he urges restrict. Pardon me. In the context of authority, urges restraint. The idea of exasperate means this: do not provoke to anger in other words fathers do not provoke your children to anger there go our bell ringers bell just one ringers Do not provoke your children to anger. Instead, and remember, Paul's done this before. He says, don't do this. Instead, do this. Do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So just again, very briefly, I've got three things, three practical things from those those things. Three ways of not to exasperate children and three things about how to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, number one, how not to exasperate your children. Number one, don't put irritating or unreasonable demands on your children. It's not that parents would necessarily do this intentionally, but sometimes I think, and I find this in myself, sometimes when you're in this sort of mix of family life and things are a bit crazy and you're trying to get the kids out of the house and things, you end up putting demands on your children that actually when you think about it later, you think actually that was a little bit irritating for them or maybe uh, unreasonable uh, for them. Uh, A key thing, and as Anna and I was talking about this, was what does this situation look like from my child's perspective? What does it look like from my child's perspective? Anna and I have regularly had a a, uh, a a bit of a fight with our kids about putting their coats on when they go out of the house. Regularly, they say, no, I don't want to wear a coat, particularly Ruth, uh, my daughter. Just, it's, you know, it's freezing in, in the middle, of, and, and all she wants to wear is just like some top with like bare arms and stuff. She says, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so for a while, we kind of forced them into their coats. No, you must wear a coat. You will wear a coat as you go outside. And the more we thought about it, we ended up saying, do you know what, actually, why are we, why are we forcing them to do this? Is it really such a big deal? We realized actually the worst that's going to happen is they're going to go out, they're going to get cold, and the next time they'll say, I'd like to wear a coat, and then we're done, and that's great. So that's the process we're going through at, uh, going through at the moment. <laughs> what kind of, what demands do we put on our children? Now, I, I should say, it, it, it's not that putting demands or boundaries is wrong, because actually, as I'll say, come to in a moment, we do want to bring them up in instruction and training. That's key, and that's a key role of parenting. But actually thinking, what do our, parent, what do our children see through this? and what what do they see in their situation? So number one, try and avoid putting irritating or unreasonable demands on our children. Number two, watch your motives as a parent. It's very easy again in the sort of warp and woof of life uh, that that our emotions spill out uh, onto uh, our children. Anna and I try and avoid disciplining our children when we are angry. Try, sometimes that ends up happening. But try to watch our own motives as a parent. Again, Anna and I uh, d- discovered that sometimes we used to discipline our children in different ways in different contexts. I don't know if any of you uh, have experienced this. Uh, you have to behave differently, or you remember when you were kids, you had to re- behave differently when you went to your grandparents' house, you know, uh, and uh, kind of, the kids are kind of like, why can't I jump on the sofa at my grandparents' house? I jump on it at home, why can't I jump on it here? Or we expect different things from our kids when they're at church or maybe when um, others come to visit uh, at at mealtimes. Now, in some ways, there's nothing wrong with having different rules, sometimes with different contexts, and our children need to learn that that is appropriate. The issue, I would say, is when the reason we discipline them differently is because we are worried about how it reflects on us as parents. Sometimes we discipline our children more when we're around people because we're ashamed of their beha- that their behavior might reflect badly on us. Now, I'm not saying uh, this, if you're a parent here, you know, I, I'm not, I, this is something that Anna and I get wrong all the time. So I'm not trying to say we're perfect in this in any way, shape or form. But actually just watching uh, motives. So number one, try and avoid being irritating to your children. <laughs> number two, watch your motives. And number three, letting your child, letting your children be their own people. Again, as parents, sometimes it's very easy to try and s- want to squash our children into the molds that we have for them, or what the molds that we wish we had been put into when we were a child. Uh, Anna is very involved with Christians in Sport, and um, uh, one of the, the guy who heads up Christians in Sport called Dano, uh, he uh, talks about his children, how he, uh, he had a number of children, and he tried to bring them up all loving sport, and most of them loved sport, apart from one of them. And really, as hard as he tried to get this kid to love sport, it just, just wasn't bothered, and they would take them on kind of sport camps that Christians of sport run. they try trying to do other things. And this kid was just, was just not bothered about it. And after a while, uh, this dad, this guy, Danna, realized, you know, what? why am I trying to do this? This is, this is my own child who's got their own loves, who's got their own th- th- things that they kind of want to blossom in. Why am I trying to force them into this other mold that I want them to be in? Actually, let's find something that they love. And he found that actually, in this context, his kid loved drama. And so he found... A drama camp that this kid could go on every summer for a week, and this kid loved it and blossomed out of it. And, uh, and this dad, Dano, said he learned to love and appreciate what his kid was going through in this drama camp. And that's a kind of a very um, kind of simple example. In some ways, it's a bit stereotypical, uh, you know, kid loving sport or drama or whatever. Um, but but actually, I think as parents, we all know what that looks like: wanting to encourage our kids to blossom in the things that they are excited and passionate about and allowing that to happen. So let them be themselves. Okay, that's three things about not exasperating. You're ready very quickly for the three things about how to do training and instruction. That's the second part. Parents or fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Again, there is an assumption here of training. And there's an assumption here of instruction. It is the parents primary responsibility of the parents to bring their children up that cannot be delegated to anybody else not saying don't send your kids to school not saying don't bring your kids to church and put them in good environments but as parents the primary responsibility in terms of our kids is to bring them up to nurture them this concept of bringing them up actually literally means to nurture like a plant that maybe has got a broken stem or something actually to nurture those children And to train the children, there's something there about discipline, but also instruction, something about knowledge. Maybe something to reflect on if you want to think more about what it means to be a parent. So three things from them. Number one, remembering that children need nurturing and that are often vulnerable. If you can put up the next. They need nurturing. And despite whatever you may think when you see a group of teenagers hanging around at the park who all look like full of bravado and look like they've got confidence in everything, actually they're very insecure and actually need, even at that point, need nurturing. And actually the importance of remembering, actually we need to nurture them. Secondly, instruction and training are important. Boundaries are important for kids. One of the things I was taught very early on when I was leading on Christian camps in the summer was that kids flourish with good boundaries. And that actually one of the things that can be most difficult for children is if there are inconsistent boundaries. Sometimes a kid does something and they're told off. Sometimes they do the same thing and they're not told off. And all of a sudden, kids become very insecure about, well, I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's wrong. Importance of good boundaries and instruction. That is important from a parent. And finally, as a parent, doing what we can to bring our children up. It says, in the Lord. Bring our children up knowing God. It's primarily the responsibility of parents to provide an environment of faith for their children. It's actually not the prime responsibility of the church. The church, and here at church, we do what we can to provide Resources to provide the context for growing children in faith that they may meet with Jesus. And we love doing that. And we want to value all our uh, people who lead in that way. But actually, the parents have a key responsibility for bringing their children up in the faith. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Parenting for Faith course that a number of parents uh, did here. Um, and I, I wasn't able to go on it. I had too many uh, other evening meetings. But I know that one of the key things from it was not bashing your kids over the head with a Bible. Now, I'm sure you know people, you may have even experienced that before, and that might have completely put you off faith. A key part of the course was opening a window in your own life to show your kids your own walk of faith that they may learn from you, that they may see what you model, that they may see your mistakes and how, you, and how you try and change those things and how you go from the kind of joys and the sorrows of the Christian walk and what that means for your children. This is not, also I should say, this is not saying that you are failing as a parent if your children don't believe. As Christians, we long for our children to share our faith, yet sometimes, for many different reasons, they choose not to. The responsibility of parents is to bring their children up in the faith, modeling them, modeling to them how to live as Christians so that our kids, as I said earlier, might one day stand on their own two feet and be able to make their own informed decision about faith. Okay. There you go. That's a bit of a whirlwind. Sorry about that. So much information. And I'm sure you might have lots of different questions, lots of things. Well, actually, what about this? And what about that? I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. Whatever. Do please talk to me about this afterwards if you'd like. And we'd love to pray with you if, you're, if any of this has kind of hit, hit a nerve with you. But um, I'd like to, as we come to the end of this, I'd like to lead us in a chance to, uh, to respond. I know that all of us get this wrong. I'm always worried, uh, as we bring up our kids, I spend time worrying that I'm, as I said earlier, that I'm damaging my kids in some ways that I'm not even uh, aware of. And I know of ways that I haven't honored my parents as well, going back to that, in the past. Yet one of the wonderful things about our Christian faith is that we know that we can leave things before God and that we have a God of restoration, we have a God of renewal, we have a God who can turn the scars that either we have or that we may have inflicted can turn those scars into things that are glorious and bring glory to God. We have a wonderful God of restoration and renewal. And ultimately, that whatever our relationship like with our children or our parents, we are able to be part of a Christian community that is modeled as a family, where we are able to be children adopted into God's family. And within the church family, find surrogates, parents, surrogates, children.